the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. If you guys remember last week, we started the book of Daniel, and we said, just really quickly, that the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the north and the south, and the north was always evil kings. So what happened was God kept warning them until a kingdom called Assyria came and took all the north into exile. Now the south, which is, should be the kingdom of Judah, the capital is Jerusalem. They had some good kings, some evil kings. God kept sending them prophets to warn them. They did not listen. Then God allowed them to, capture, to be captured by Babylon, which is Iraq. Now remember one thing. Assyria took the northern kingdom is into captive. When Babylon comes, it means Babylon will take over Assyria. And when they took over Assyria, they automatically own the northern kingdom. And now they will actually add to them the southern kingdom. Okay? So you don't have to worry about the northern, northern kingdom anymore. It's already whoever is in control of the world at that time controls the northern kingdom. So you don't have to worry about that. We said that Babylon, any kingdom, by the way, they really don't want to destroy cities. There's really, it's not beneficial for them. So what they do is they say, look, you want to follow us, all what we want from you, pay some money. When you need you for war, you just come show up. If you refuse, they'll come back and fight you. So we said that Babylon took over Jerusalem or Judah in three different stages. And the first stage, this is when they took Daniel and the three young men and a lot of other people. They took them over to Babylon and they left the rest. People in, in Jerusalem, they rebelled against the king. He came a second time. The third time, he destroyed the city completely. He said, you know what? You guys are rebels. I don't want any, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to deal with you anymore. We said also, if you guys remember, at the time of Daniel, there were Jeremiah the prophet. He was actually left in Jerusalem weeping and, and seeing the condition of Jerusalem. There was also Ezekiel. And we said that Daniel was in Babylon uh, the capital of Babylon, but Ezekiel the prophet, he was also in Babylon, but not in the capital. He was just kind of brought in. And we also said last time, if you guys remember, we said that the king Nebuchadnezzar, he took the best, the best, most noble, richest people, and he said, you know what, I want to take you, I'll give you a grant, I want you to study the Babylonian language, I want you to study everything for three years. And whoever is doing well, I will make you ruler over uh, uh, over the kingdom, over different areas of the kingdom. And we said this, this for many reasons, to prevent people from rebellion. So now, today, we're going to start from chapter 4, so we, uh, sorry, from uh, verse 4. So now we're starting to talk about the training program that Nebuchadnezzar had for the, the young people. He said, the young men, this is the qualification of the young men, who are in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So the qualification that the king has put, it's like almost like if you have a job description. He says, I want them to physically be good. And this is, by the way, it was a requirement for the priest in the Old Testament. He has to be without blemish because he represents God. Okay, just like the lamb has to be without blemish. He represents God, represents Christ. They have to be good-looking, intellectual. They have to be quick to learn. 
they'll have to be able to stand in front of the king. What does that mean to stand in front of the king? It means to serve the king. It means they must have the manner, the confidence, the knowledge. So this is the qualification. So what is he going to do? He said, I'm going to give you training for it. It's not, you don't have to worry about this on your own. So Daniel and the three young men, when they came from Jerusalem, they're about 15 years old. 15 years old. They're going to go through a college education. Okay, but it's only three years. So in this college education, he wants to teach them the language, how to speak and how to write. He also wants to teach them the discernment, how the Chaldeans make decisions and how the Chaldeans view the world. And this is part of almost the brainwashing that goes through. You come over, well, you will see the fancy palace, you will see the fancy guards, you will see all these things to impress you. And now he has this program to kind of brainwash you so you can uh, become more like them. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that the end of that time they might serve before the king. Not only the king, the king said, it's not only college education, it's not only that you're going to have a place to actually to, 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 to learn, but I'm going to give you from the food I eat and the wine I drink. This is almost an incentive to get them to work hard. And the king himself will examine them. So this is not an easy job. This is a job you're applying to, to, applying to become like the, the chief staff of the White House. The king himself will examine you. Obviously, this is a big test for Daniel and the three young men. Because if they eat of the king delicacies, they're disobeying the rules that's there in Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. They are not supposed to eat of the food that is being offered to the idols. Be careful. In, the, in Judaism, you can drink wine. And in Judaism, you can eat meat. That's what the Passover is all about, to eat meat. But they cannot eat the food that is worshipped, uh, the, the sacrifice to the idols. Why? Because when you eat it, it means you're participating in the worship. Eating that food is a sign of your participation in the worship. So they had an extremely difficult test. You can think about it this way. There will be a lot of social pressure on them. People will be like, come on. You need to eat the king's food. Otherwise, you know, maybe you should work your way up and become close to the king and eventually, eventually convince him to rebuild Jerusalem. You have to follow the king. You have to follow the king. They're almost at the beginning of their career. And they are faced with an extremely important questions of priority. What will take priority? Is it God? Or is it the king? These are 15 years old. This is not a, somebody who's adult. They're young kids. Most of us are older than 15. And they are the pressure in front of the king. 
the pressure in front of the king. They are in a foreign land. I was thinking about this other day. I said, how many people in the world at that time knew God? How many people truly were faithful to God? Out of the people of Israel, we're going to hear it in verse 6. It says, now among the sons of Judah, many people that, among many, that Nebuchadnezzar brought from Judah, where Jerusalem is, were Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he gave Sidrach. Mishael, uh, Mishael, he gave Mishael. And to Azariah, he gave Abdenabu. Why is he giving them new names? You guys remember always the name is a sign of identity. But he's giving them new identities. He wants them to follow the new path that the king is setting for them. And it's important for us because do not underestimate the little things in your life. The name matters. The way you dress matters. Everything you do is part of your identity. And unfortunately, sometime in our culture, we try to belittle everything. That's why the idea of identity is kind of hard to, to seek. And people live in confusion for a long time. The word Daniel, by the way, means my judge is God. My judge is God. The word Hananiah means Yahuwah has shown grace. Or God has shown grace. The word Misael means who is what God is. Or who is like God. The word Azariah means Yahuwah has helped. And by the way, these names are listed in alphabetical order. In the Jewish, Jewish context. So you can see all the names have a meaning. God is my judge. God has shown grace. Who is like God? Yahuwah helps me. All these words have meaning. Now he wants to give them new names. Belshazzar, for example, means Baal protect his life. Baal is one of the Babylonian gods. Instead of in my bedroom, I have a picture of the saints and picture of my Lord Jesus and picture of people that I can relate to. I put things that has nothing to do with my identity. This is what he's talking about. The devil tries to switch our identity. In everything we do, in what we watch, in what we eat, in what we do. This is almost, by the way, you will see this, you will see this also in the life of Joseph. When Joseph worked for the Pharaoh, he gave him a new name. He gave him a new name. Now, if you look at them right now, we consider them political prisoners, really. They're just coming. They are beginning their careers, and they have a lot of temptations as young men in a foreign country. Now let's see what's the reaction to the king's request. Verse 8, yani one of the most beautiful verses. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself 
with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel proposed in his heart. If you guys, if I sit with you today and ask you, you should do this exercise. When you go home, think of how many good excuses Daniel has not to fast. How many good excuses? Peer pressure? Yes. Starting his career? Yes. Temptation? Yes. He has even more reasons. God has abandoned us. God allowed Jerusalem to, to be in ruins. Where is God? That's unfair. He can blame God. For where he is. If he actually disobeys the king, the king could kill him. And we will see that Nebuchadnezzar can be very compulsive sometimes. So he has all the excuses in the world not to fast. All the excuses. Think about it this way. When people go on vacation. And if there's a fast, if there's a Wednesday in the middle, for example, or Friday in the middle. What's the biggest concern they have? Oh, we are on vacation. You know, we have to. We can't fast. But what about Daniel? He doesn't have a servant. He doesn't have a priest next to him to tell him fast. How long did he do this for? 70 years. Daniel kept himself pure 70 years. Day in, day out. The problem with following the commandments of God is nothing new. There is always few who follow the commandments of God. And you look in the Old Testament, look in the book of Tobit, verse 1 from 10 to 12, it says, there was always a big problem in the Jewish, in the Jewish, uh, between the Jewish people to fast in a Gentile, in a Gentile land. Look in Tobit, what it says, after I was carried away captive to Assyria and came as captive to Nineveh, every one of my kindred and my people ate the food of the Gentiles. This is Tobit speaking. But I kept myself from eating the food of the Gentiles because I was mindful of God with all my heart. Topia said, I was, I was taken to Assyria. When I went, everybody was eating the food of the Gentiles. Why is Daniel unique? Because he does not compromise. We stand in front of him ashamed. Ashamed. He, by the way, could have said, you know what? Not necessarily every food is offered to the king is from the idols. Maybe some slipped. I don't have to judge. You know, this is the dilemma, by the way, was in First Corinthians. Chapter 10, 25 20, to, to 28. First, a Christian of the first century. They said the same thing. They were eating the meat that's offered to the idols. And then St. Paul spoke about if I eat meat and eating meat will make my brother stumble. There's a whole discussion exactly because of that specific problem. You have a 15 years old who has no family, no church, no support, nothing. He must speak different language, must eat different food, must listen to different music. 
and he must be examined on what he knows. And he's at risk of disobedience to the king. He's at risk of being unreasonable in comparison to his Jewish colleagues. He's at risk of not advancing his career. He also has all the reasons for God not protecting in his minds could be that God did not protect him from Jerusalem. Daniel is one of the greatest examples of faithfulness to God. Now Daniel was unique in a, th in a sense that he was a leader. He put in his heart, he's not going to defile himself from the king's delicacies. And what did he do? He spoke out. And because of that, he encouraged other people to speak out. Speak up. And that's what we see. It is not enough that I want to fast or I want to do this. As you know, a lot of time, yani, this is what we do in our spiritual life. There's a big, I was thinking about this today. We have a, we have a big problem because we talk a lot about the life of the saints and how great they are. And when it comes to application, we have become very good at finding excuses not to live like the saints. And then sometimes sometime I see people coming to my office angry. I do everything. Why God is not listening? As if like, you know, it's by force. You know, I have to, God has to listen to me by now. I already did five matanias. I already fasted this last week, Wednesday and Friday. God should listen to me by now. Daniel was a faithful person to God. He said, when it comes to priorities, I'll put him first. Now look at verse 9. Now God, God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your face looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. God is the one who's in control, nobody else. God gave Daniel favor in front of the chief of the eunuch. This is a 15 years old. The chief of the eunuch liked him, even though he probably doesn't understand what it means to be defiled. He would not even understand his reasoning. But he liked him. I told him, look, I like you and I love you, but I wouldn't put my head, my, my, my neck for you. That probably will cost me my life. It will cost me my life. The grace and the favor that God gives Daniel is unusual. And I want you guys to think about this. There is a lot of gifts in our life that we don't appreciate. And God might give you a likable personality. God might give you a chance to be able to connect with more people. Unfortunately, sometimes we frame success in a certain area only. And we don't see the gifts that God has given us. Everybody is given gifts from God. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs has set over Daniel. Try to understand this. First he went to the chief of the eunuch 
who likes Daniel, told him, you know what, there's nothing I could do for you. Then he went to the person under him. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. Be careful. From now on at this point, the book of Daniel is not going to refer to the three young men and Daniel with their Babylonian names. Because their identity maintained to be true to God. And anybody in the Old Testament, and I, I don't want to yeah, make just a blank generalization because there are some exceptions, but anybody who is faithful to God, their new names will never, unless they're given by God, obviously, but if they got new names from foreign countries, they, the Bible never used them. We'll use them one time just to explain to you. But if their identity melted into a different country, then it, it, uh, it, they keep the new name. They sold, told him, look, this is the steward whom under the, uh, under the chief eunuch told him, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. So he consented, contest, uh, consented with them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel proposed a solution. He told him, look, try us for 10 days. By the way, we're talking about trainers who are very smart, very intelligent people, top of the line, Harvard professors. And they making a proposal by a 15 years old that will risk the life and the proposal seems ridiculous. Test us for 15 days, for 10 days and see what will happen. What will happen in 10 days? You're eating like everybody else. Anybody, any, any of us will dismiss this request as foolish. It's not worth the risk. You see, Daniel could have said, you know what? I spoke with the chief of the eunuch and I got no answer. I've done my part. There's nothing more I could do. He continued. And he chose the most conservative approach. He did not tell the, the steward, look, if there's any food that was not worshipped to the idols and you know for sure, maybe we can eat it, or maybe if there's a wine, no exceptions. Give me the most conservative approach because I want to fulfill the commandments of God to the best of my ability. I went, I want to fulfill the commandments of God to the best of my ability. It's extremely important because fasting and prayer have been tested over and over and over again. From the time of Adam until today. And anybody who tries to reinvent the wheel, they don't understand. Anybody whose their own desires and will fool them that they can approach God and get to know Him, but away from what God is outlining for us, are fooling themselves. Look at verse 15. And at the end of the 10 days, 
Their features appeared better and fatter and fleshed than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Look, look what, how did they do this? They had to be careful because it, it's not like they cannot be clear in front of everybody that Daniel and the three young men are eating vegetables. So what it looks like from what they're doing is that they will put the king's food in front of them first. Okay? And then, so everybody sees that they're all eating the same thing. They will take it in front of them and then they will put the vegetables in the water afterwards. So they get a chance to see the good, delicious food that every single person is eating. They're hanging out with their friends at Five Guys. Everybody's eating burgers and they're eating french fries. That's exactly what they're doing. Okay? One of the questions you have to ask, did Daniel and the three young men expect this to be the result? Did they expect it? That they will look much better than everybody else? I personally don't think they knew exactly what to expect. I think they knew God will work. How and what? I don't think they knew exactly. But they knew to trust in God. You know why I'm telling you this? Later on when we see when they threw them in the fire, what did the three young men tell the king? Told them, if God wants to deliver us, he will deliver us. If he doesn't, let the king know. And they gave him a speech. So they are being faithful to God, not because an angel appeared to them and told them, look, if you do this, you will look ten times better. It doesn't start this way. This is not faith. It starts by faithfulness to the commandment of God to the biggest, the greatest extent. I will go out of my way as much as I can to fulfill the commandment of God. And that faithfulness is what God looks at. Faithfulness is what looks, God looks at. So be careful because in our spiritual life, sometime we want certain results in a certain way. This is, I don't think this is what happened here. They did not know exactly what's going to happen. And for these young men, God gave them knowledge, skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. God gave them intellectual ability beyond their faithfulness. Because they had their priorities straight. They had their spirituality first. They had their spirituality first. And Daniel, because he was the leader, and he was the one who took the initiative, and he was the most faithful, God has given him something extra. He gave him what? Understanding in all visions and dreams. Well, obviously, we'll see why dreams are important. In the old days, in Babylonian wisdom, they believed that interpretation of dreams is extremely important. 
because they believed that God speaks through them. God speaks through dreams. So when I am in a group and everybody's acting in a certain way and I take the lead because of my faithfulness to God, God does not forget that. God does not forget that. The worst thing for us as Christians to become like the world. And you know what? From the beginning of the world until today, those who are faithful to God are few. Those who are faithful to God are few. Even in his own church. Even in his own church. And by the way, just a, a quick reminder. Remember I told you that Daniel, the first few chapters, he did not write them in the first person. He wrote them in the third person. Maybe this is one of the reasons. Because he's trying to tell them the stories of what happened. And maybe God gave him more gifts than this. But he only mentioned the interpretation of dreams. Because it's relevant to what we're going to see next. The next, of the, ch the next chapters, he will still continue this way. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. This is graduation day, after three years. After three years, he's gonna graduate. So the chief of the eunuchs brought them in front of the, before Nebuchadnezzar. The king, then the king interviewed them. So the king is doing the interview. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king in all matters, all exams of wisdom, understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better than the magician, astrologers, and who were in, in the realm. Does it surprise you that he found them ten times better? Better? How long was the testing period for? Ten days. He found them ten times better. The king himself, he carried an oral exam. All of them. By the way, just I want you guys to know just something on the side. When we talk about magician and astrologers, it's not the concept of magician and astrologers we understand today. These people who, at this point, it was a lot of it, part of it was scientific, quote unquote scientific. Like, you know, they, they, they thought of it as a science. For example, there's a lot of books in the ancient time or about interpretation of dreams and then they will say if you dream of rain then that means this if you dream so they have some sort of symbolism and, and all this stuff so it's a lot of it a lot of it they think of it this is this is a science this is something they they they, they can do now you have the three young men who are doing better than everybody not only their colleagues but on all the kingdom 18 years old are doing much better than everybody in the kingdom. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. If you guys remember King Cyrus, or if you don't remember, it's okay. He came, it was about 536. Daniel came at 601. So we're talking about 65 years, Daniel was in public service. 65 years, he's in the palace, day in and day out. in the midst of politics, in the midst of people who are trying to get him in trouble, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of 
woman dancing and singing in every possible way of sin. He put in his heart that he will not defile himself. A decision, I don't know how he took this decision so firm. So firm, I will not sin. I will follow the commandments of God to the, ex to the greatest extent. Daniel is a great example for all of us. Somebody who under more than any circumstances any of us will be subjected to was still able to keep faithful to God. Still able to keep faithful to God. Let's take uh, maybe a couple of verses from chapter 2 and continue next week. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his spirit was so troubled that, he, that his sleep left him. Now, this is second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. This is about 602. Daniel was 18 years old. Daniel was 18, 18 years old. And remember when I was telling you last time that the whole book of Daniel is about how God is in control. You will see a very long story today about a dream that the king has saw and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, who won out of this whole story? Daniel. It went from the king who was going to kill him to he become the most victorious person in the kingdom. So God can do something to move the whole world just for a faithful person? Absolutely. Because faithful people to God are hard to find. Faithful people to God are hard to find. Just kidda, I want to tell you something small about dreams because we will see a lot of dreams in the book of Daniel. In the scripture, God spoke through dreams to so many people. He spoke to St. Joseph the carpenter in a dream. He told him, take the mother and the child and go to Egypt. He spoke to St. Peter in the book of Acts in dreams. But not all dreams are from God. Most of the dreams are a result of our own thoughts. Most of the dreams are a result of our own thoughts. I remember one time I had one of my friends woke up and he was so angry. I told him, what's wrong? I had a dream that one of my friends did something in the dream that upset me. And he woke up so angry at his friend just because he, because he had a dream. So it's a collection of our hidden thoughts. And some dreams could be from the devil. Or could be, and that's why we see people led by false prophets to think certain things. But most of the dreams, more than 90% of them, are just a result of our own thoughts. But the dreams that come from God usually have a purpose. They're usually repeated. They're usually, they're come with some sort of the qualities of God like peace and joy. There are certain aspects of the dreams of, that comes from God. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. 
Okay, and he was very worried. Then the king gave the command to all magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So, so they come and stood. So they came and said, stood, uh, and stood before him. When he said to tell the king his dreams, most likely he had this dream multiple times. So he turned to all the scholars that he knows. Well, them come over, and I want you to explain to me what is this all, what is this dream is all about. And the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. My spirit is anxious to, do, to know the dream. It seems that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and a lot of scholars say that he remembered part of it. He might not have remembered the whole full dream. But the, he knew that dream was unique. And also, we'll see later, he also was not trusting so much of the magicians and the astrologers and all that stuff. So the Chaldeans spoke to the king in, Aram in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants a dream, and we will give the interpretation. Remember I told you from chapter 2 till chapter 7 are written in what language? Aramaic. Because these chapters were meant to be also written, read, read in Babylon. Chapter 1 and the last few chapters in Daniel were written in Hebrew. So a Hebrew person will read Daniel 1. People in Babylon will read this story. Aramaic was one of the languages, diplomatic language that they use in Babylon. So this is, it's not like, he's not hiding anything. This is things that are known to the people and people can test it and see it. So he's telling them, look, they told him, look, tell us, tell us, tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. And I was telling you before, to them it was more of a science, like, okay, he had a tree, the tree means this, he had this, he means this, let's put the dream together, most likely it means, like, you know, something like that, something along this nature, like, it was more of, and, you know, it's a little bit of an art, you know, but also has some sort of basic science, if you ever, and if you guys took inorganic chemistry, it feels like the same way, okay, so that's kind of what he's doing, there's a lot of art, there's not a lot of, a little bit of, a little bit of science, that's kind of how it feels. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. You do not, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall, be, you shall be cut into pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dreams and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants a dream and we will give the interpretation and the king answered and said I know of certain I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm if you do not make known the dream to me there is only one decree for you for you have agreed to speak lying corrupt words before me till the time has changed therefore tell me the dreams and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation pretty harsh Nebuchadnezzar telling them, if you don't tell me the dream, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to cut you into pieces. Okay, this, is, this was a, a very, yani, something, unfortunately, they practice in the ancient, in the ancient world. Where they, 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 they'll dismember their, their, their enemies. And on the other hand, he's telling them, look, if you do it, I will give you rewards. 
a lot of people say the rewards here is actually singular. So it's actually one big reward that he had in mind. Nebuchadnezzar felt that the magician and the sorcerer and the scholars, they are trying to gain time. Let us know the dream. Why are they gaining time? Hoping that Nebuchadnezzar will change his mind. He will forget. You know, things are just a dream. He will get over it, kind of a thing. But Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I need to know. You know what's interesting? Is chapter 1, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar himself was interviewing the three young men. So he is, he's a big boss. He's intelligent. He's smart. He knows, he knows the material. He knows the materials that these scholars use. And not only this, he probably reached a point where he can teach it. But when push comes to Shafkida, he doesn't trust it. And this happens a lot in the world. We can make theories and things look nice and all this stuff, but when your life depends on it, you might not trust it. You might not trust it. As we will see the dream, the dream was extremely worrying because in Babylon, two out of the three Babylonian kings were assassinated. So when he sees a dream where there's a statue and things look great and all of a sudden the statue is destroyed, he might think that God is trying to communicate a message to him about maybe a conspiracy against him, an assassination against him. So the dream for him was so serious. It's not just out of curiosity he's trying to know the dream. It was more of he felt that this was a message from God. And can you imagine out of all his kingdom, he cannot trust a single person that he can tell him the dream so he may tell him the interpretation. This is, by the way, the state of the world. The state of the world. We teach people, we brag about this, we brag about that. But we wouldn't bet our lives on a lot of things that people do in the world. We'll take verse uh, 10 and then continue next time. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is no man on earth who can tell the king's matter Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldeans. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So basically, after they give up, they cannot gain any more time, they're telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you're being unreasonable. Nobody have ever asked anything like this before. No king, no ruler, nothing. They're trying to avoid death. We've never heard anybody who've done this before. But here there's a beautiful witness by the people. This witness is important for the story of Daniel. He told him, nobody can tell you this except God. 
they are almost preparing the king to believe in the God of Daniel. And sometimes people of the world can witness to certain things even in their anger. If you guys remember in the book of Acts, they said those men who turned the world upside down are here too. Two homeless preachers are turning the world upside down. Witnessed by the devil. But he couldn't keep silent. He couldn't keep silent. And he says, Gods who do not dwell among people. That always have to remind you of our Lord who came and lived with us. There is no religion in the world that talks of God living among his own creation. Nobody. That's why we always say Christianity is a revelation. God revealed himself to us. It's not a religion. It's a revelation. From the beginning, people have never thought that heaven and earth can meet. And we will see that in the people of God, heaven and earth can meet. In us, heaven and earth can meet. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.